I really think the reason we have rituals at all is to process change and process time passing. Because if you don't mark these changes, it's very easy to turn around and realize years have gone by. Results May Vary is a podcast and a community to help you design your life. Through our work in the fields of design, innovation, and executive coaching, Chris, Kachi, and I have learned that the creative problem-solving strategies we use to help organizations tackle tough challenges apply to people challenges, too. The design process is universal. Gaining empathy and taking action is useful for every industry and individual alike. Our hope is that by sharing stories from people who've designed their own lives in unique ways, that you can take what's useful and apply it on your own. So tune in, take note, try an experiment, and then try another. We're all born creators, and every day is a whole new chance to create. Today, we're thrilled and honored to welcome Sasha Sagan, Raised in a secular household by the astronomer Carl Sagan and writer and producer Andrew Yin, Sasha was taught that the natural world and vast cosmos are full of profound beauty and that science reveals truths more wondrous than any myth or fable. When she herself became a mother, Sasha began her own hunt for the natural phenomena behind our most treasured occasions, from births to deaths, holidays to weddings, anniversaries, and the simple ways we mark the rhythms of the everyday. Seeing life itself as worthy of celebration, Sasha authored the book For Small Creatures Such As We, which thoughtfully explores how we might blend science and spirituality. Let's listen in as Sasha shares how she's been creating a new set of rituals for her young daughter that honor the joy and significance of each experience. She'll also share how you can design your own life-honoring rituals to feel more connected to self, community, and the vast universe that we are all an integral part of. It's so good to meet you. It's so good to meet you. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Sasha, we're really interested to have you start by explaining how, how would you talk about your work or your book to someone who's never heard it before? Oh, that's a good question. Well, first, let me say thank you so much for such a warm, warm welcome. Um, You know, what I'm really interested in and what my work is really about is for those of us who are secular or um, who see science as the pathway to deeper understanding, how do we celebrate and mourn and mark time and uh, experience rites of passage and rituals um, that are still so important to anyone, regardless of their their theism or lack thereof. Um, and I think just because the infrastructure for that kind of thing has historically been religious, sometimes we feel like our options are to either go through the motions or to do none of none of those things. And so I'm really curious about um, how we can do them. And the, the place where I, I came from that got me to, to this area of, of curiosity is um, I, my father was the astronomer Carl Sagan, and he and my mom... Andrianne um, wrote lots of books and essays together and created a TV show in the 80s called Cosmos. And they really had this enthusiasm 
uh, and awe and wonder about science, about nature as revealed by science. That was so contagious. I was raised in a household where that was the philosophy. And um, when I was 14, I lost my dad. And then I started, you know, wondering about how we navigate some of these these moments in in human life um, with this this sort of more possibly more modern but in some ways very ancient worldview yeah I was gonna say because in your book you talk about a lot of the basis for what we celebrate in religious practices actually comes from traditions around nature yes absolutely and I, I think you know for most of human history the you know the more deeply we understood the workings of nature um you know the changing of the seasons the phases of the moon um you know when certain plants bloomed and animals reproduced all these all these scientific events um we're also a way of getting closer to our our gods or god and at some point those those roads diverged and we've never, we've never quite recovered, I don't think. But I think what's so astonishing is just barely beneath the surface of so many of our most cherished ceremonies and celebrations and rituals, there is a real scientific event um, just barely, barely hidden, whether it's the solstices and equinoxes or you know, the course of a human life, the biological changes from birth, coming of age, death, you know, these are real events that we sort of superimpose um, very specific ideas of, you know, depending on our culture, our religion, our geography, whatever it is, um, on top of these events to make them specific to our, our group, but we're all celebrating the same things. Um, and that is something that really actually brings me quite a lot of joy. Yeah, in the book, actually, you, you also mention that reverence that's existed throughout around the sun in so many traditions. And can you share more about that reverence, but also the biology behind it and why it moves us so much in our everyday life? Anyone who has ever experienced small euphoria of a sunny day <laughs> and the idea that if we take a step back and we think, the sun is our star. It's what, you know, what we revolve around, you, you know, literally <laughs> and figuratively. And, you know, it, it's, it's the source of life and it's a star and we're getting the rays from this five billion year old star on our skin and it's releasing chemicals in our brain that make us feel joy. And I think this is an example where the more deeply we understand it, it's the more thrilling and breathtaking and sacred it really feels and you know through, throughout history throughout the world there have been lots of sun deities sun gods in different cultures and it just seems like personifying this star makes a lot of sense if you're looking at it from a theistic standpoint like we really do owe the sun our lives and if you're looking at it from a secular standpoint it's still breathtakingly beautiful and meaningful it's so reliable right <laughs> sunrise <Yes>. and sunset <laughs> you mean which is really you know it's a misnomer because it's really us that's moving not the sun but there's so much that feels so uncertain especially now and it's like the, the, that is the sunrise the sunset the changing of the length of days that is just completely reliable. 
And I think that's, that's so beautiful and kind of reassuring. I think that reliability is exactly what people need that one of the reasons I, I just really fell in, one of the many reasons I fell in love with your work and the book is at this time right now, our societal compass is really shifting quite fast. And mm. all the things that we thought were normal, like we, whether it's taking the children to school and, and going to something called an office or, or, or just being able to walk outside all those and hug our loved ones and, and all of those things have shifted. And so it's very disorienting and it feels as a time to really go deeper into what is my true compass. And quite honestly, looking at the sun, looking at our star, grounding in the fact of the billions and billions of years, uh, grounding in all the generations that came before us, that's such a deeper, more real compass. And that can be soothing at a time that we need that grounding, that soothing, and that safety. Yeah, yeah, one of the things your your dad has the had the phrase of we are star stuff. Mm-hmm. We are made of stars, elements, and and when I first heard that, I mean that is an awe inspiring thought that we're not just humans who live on a planet that is guided by a star, but we actually come from stars. We come from the beginning of our universe. We are made of those same things. To me, that's calming. Absolutely. And it's so grand. I think it's so much more astonishing than a lot of the, the, the mythology and theology around the world. And it's provably true. I think sometimes the stuff that is demonstrably true doesn't get presented in the same way that a wonderful, beautiful fable might get told. But if we can sort of shift our viewpoint to see some of the real information we've been able to glean, you know, through the scientific method, I think that might solve some things that we all struggle with. So when I first met Katya, we were speaking at a conference together and I attended her talk and she said something like, we come from she said 800 generations um, of people to get here. And then in your book, you said 7,500. Either way, that was another thing that when I heard it and really thought about that, it just touched me so deeply Mm -hmm. to think about all of the people who had to come together, get together over time in order for me to have this moment of consciousness on this planet. Mm. And and so I'm just wondering, you know, you, you talked about having your own child and sort of continuing that trajectory. What, what do you think about when you think about the 7,500 generations? You know, if you don't believe everything is preordained, if you don't think that everything, you know, happens for a reason, I find it's so easy to feel just so much gratitude. I mean, just going back, talking about generations, just going back, you know, a few and just your great grandparents all had to cross paths with one another, you know, and like all the, all those um, moments and all those connections and all those situations um, and all the disasters and close calls and near misses that could have just gone a little bit another way. And when I see my daughter and I think, you know, like any child, you get the little glimpses of a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle. And you think there's just so much 
genetic information <laughs> in this person from all of these people that I love and loved and people whose names I will never know who are back, you know, beyond the horizon. But there is some part of them that literally, literally lives on in my daughter. And that I find so beautiful. It, it moves me just thinking about it, that, you know, every child carries all this um, information from all of these people um, whose names we don't know, but who are there in some real tangible way. And that, you know, just the idea that you can, especially now it's so easy, send a little saliva in a tube and find out all, all this history that hidden in the, in the code in our bodies. Yeah, actually, that was the way that I came to your book. So I'm adopted. And about two years ago, I got reconnected with my birth families. Oh, and, wow. and I have siblings on both sides. And I'd lost my brother growing up. And so I just... Oh, I'm I have, so sorry. Thank you. Thank you. But I have all these new family members now. And my sister, the, the way I met her was she invited me to her wedding and I showed up and met the entire family all at once. And it was such a gracious invitation. And just a couple of months ago, she had her first child. And oh. I, do, I do have nieces and nephews um, who are older, but I was like, this is the first genetic baby I've ever met. Like the first baby I've ever been related wow. to. Oh. And, and I was listening to your book right after she had given birth and just thinking about the wonder of, you know, I did, I did spit in a tube and I sent it off and that's how I got connected with my family. And then oh. to have these beautiful events unfold and to be able to be a part of them and to really feel that intergenerational connection to people who two years ago, I didn't even know existed. It just was amazing. Thank you for sharing that. It just, that really is so beautiful. Thank you. And, and that connection is so deeply strong because it's how life really moves through us. Often in my coaching practice, I'll have my clients think about their parents and then grandparents and start to imagine them standing behind them, whether they knew mm. them or not. And we start going up the generations. And given world history, I also had every single person Ooh, getting emotional. Mm. Every single person who gave a helping hand. Yeah. Just enough for life to keep going. And so we end up at the tip of this huge tri this this huge triangle that has our back, and they're also in our DNA and the helping hands. Um, without them and all the decisions that it took and all this the the uh uh, meet cutes or others <laughs> that mm -hmm. occurred <laughs> mm -hmm. for us. I mean, for the three of us to be here breathing and talking and sharing, there are so many standing behind us. Katia, will you tell your train story? Oh. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I had a good laugh in the best way when you talked about these decisions we make consciously or unconsciously. And you speak about how your grandparents met yeah. on a train where your grandfather was reading a book and, and, uh, your grandmother was leaning against him. And when he turned the page, she said, well, um, I'm not done reading. And that's how they met. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> so I come from a family where everyone comes from different countries and they all had different ways of meetings. But the way my parents met was um, my mother was born in Canada and she's half Chinese, half Scottish. And my father was born in France and he's half Italian and Flemish. 
and he was traveling to Canada on a, as a journalist for a story. He was going to his destination, he was on the train. My mother gets on the train. She and her mother, apparently, the story, the legend in our family is that mm. her mother would have said, don't talk to strangers. <laughs> <laughs> so my mother gets on the train. And my father says, he looked across and sees this beautiful woman that keeps staring at him and staring at him. And he thinks, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> And as he later found out, she'd forgotten her glasses. <laughs> but as the story goes, they both got off the train in Toronto and walked all night until he took his flight back to Paris the next day. Oh. Um, and that's what started uh, uh, a love story that created my me and my brother. <laughs> oh, that's so romantic. My goodness. Oh, I love that. Sasha, will you tell the story of how your parents met and the golden record? Yes. So they met at a at a dinner party, um, but they were neither of them were single at that time. Um, but um, they started working together on the Voyager records, which are two golden phonograph records that are currently the furthest objects touched by human hands from this planet, um, two spacecrafts. And what they were doing um, when they fell in love was coming up with a collection of music and greetings in human languages and one whale language and other representations of what the best of life on earth is to sort of send out into the universe like two two bottles with messages in them with the idea that maybe someday long after our species is either no longer here or evolved into something else someone might find them and have have a record of of who we were and the the two spacecrafts have a shelf life of a billion years so they will be floating out beyond the solar system for a very long time but they were working on collecting all the music and greetings and other information on the records when when they realized that they were in love with each other and once they sort of declared their love for each other, one of the things that was also included was my mother's brainwaves. And the idea of just the brainwaves of someone newly fallen in love would be one of the things that we would have to represent who, who we are, who we were. I love that so much. I shared it with Katya and she had a really, <laughs> she had a really visceral reaction to it. And Katya, I'm wondering if you could share that a little bit. It happened again. I started tearing up. So the, oh. the, first, the first time JC told me, I cried. Then I had to look into it. Then I cried. Then I had to share it on social media. And then I cried. <laughs> it's really it was, moving. It's beautiful. It's so moving. And then I, I, I dug a little deeper uh, because, as you said, so eloquently and gorgeously, um, the brainwaves of of of. So what went out was the best of humanity. And here we have the brainwaves of a woman in love. Someone in love, but a woman in love. And, yeah. and it, it gives it such, it, it holds it in the right place of, of beauty and honor and legitimacy. And I was talking to Tracy about 
have you noticed that in, in modern culture or in the media or on TV shows, that is not how a woman in love is held. Mm. Um, and so that was a real contrast. And, and I loved that uh, this EEG is out there in space and, and really holding the, uh, the, the sentiment and the visual of a woman in love at its right place. Yeah, the title of my book comes from a quote from the novel Contact. The quote is, for small creatures such as we, the vastness is bearable only through love. And like this idea that, you know, when we sort of, if, if we are tiny, tiny creatures on a out of the way planet in a vast, vast universe who live for the blink of an eye, and you know, there's just oblivion on either side as far as we know. It's really easy to, and I certainly can relate to the existential crisis that that can send you down. But once you sort of reckon with that idea that this is not forever, even if you do believe that there is something else after, whatever this is that we're doing right now, this is not forever. This does come to an end. And the sun, as no matter how much we worship it and how much we love it, it will burn out eventually. Nothing is forever. And, and you know, once we sort of really come to terms with that and how painful that can be, and, and we get through to the other side and say, well, what do we have? And it's, the, it's one another at this moment. Here we are. And, and we're in this little lifeboat of a planet together. Um, and we, you know, this is, it's ours to, to, to make it count. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. And this resonates with you. You spoke, if you could go a little bit deeper about how you facing this fear really made you a woman. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really interested in one of the rituals that is so cross-cultural. I hesitate to use the word universal because my dad would say we only have data on earth so we don't know what's universal but um, <laughs> but you know as 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 a something that it seems to be very very popular among human beings um you know a coming of age ritual you know we have these these rites of passage these little portals that we create from childhood into adulthood and you know uh, bar mitzvah, quinceanera, sweet 16, you know, getting your driver's license and, you know, a million different um, incarnations of these, these kinds of um, religious or cultural events. And some of them in some places are, are um, you know, a little scary. And the one that comes to mind is the land diving that young men do in, in Vanuatu in the South Pacific, where you jump off a very high tower with vines tied to your ankles as a sort of organic bungee cord and you then you are a man and that's it's like a performance art piece about what it means to grow up it's like you have to face some fears you have to come to terms with some something difficult and you know, for me, I had a I had a sweet sixteen, but I didn't really feel like that was the portal into adulthood. And I write about in the book um, taking some psychedelic mushrooms um, and um, having a total freak out um, where I just all of a sudden, all the things that I sort of intellectually was aware of of like life is short, and you know the people who you love who 
have died are gone and you know all these things you know the planet is small um the universe is big you know all these things like i knew but i didn't really like they didn't resonate in this visceral way until i had this sort of unpleasant trip and um and i totally freaked out and was like emotionally rocked it was sort of coming to terms with that experience and that afterwards i really did feel changed i really did feel like i had grown up in some way and you know i do really think like facing our fears and not putting them out of our heads it's really helpful in the long term and you know i think just the idea of mortality is still one of the most taboo subjects in American culture, it's, you know, people are much more comfortable talking about, you know, sex and religion and money and things that, um, than just talking about the idea that this, you know, that we are mortal. And um, I think it makes it harder when someone does die and you are mourning, if, if you don't have the language to talk about it, especially if you're self secular, if you're religious, you often do have a context to talk about it. I think it's good that we're talking about death and dying and mortality, because one of the things, you know, as we talk about, oh, you can design your life every day is a new day to create, you know, we all have the agency and the biological imperative to do that as human beings. It can sometimes get into the realm of, you know, like toxic positivity. And <laughs> everything's great and fantastic and just, you know, ignore and move forward, which it isn't really about. Yeah. Um, and I love, I love your focus on ritual. And so I'm wondering, can we talk about that? Because now as we're all continuing to deal with COVID and sort of the changes yeah. to our society and what that means, I feel like our ability to be designers as humans, we're really going to need to step up that skill set to create what the future is going to look like. And so how does ritual play a role in that for you? It's such a good question. I think it's like one of those things where, you know, there was a, that period of time when everyone was saying, I mean, there's been the ongoing thing of like, I don't know what day it is, but also like the, this is like the week between Christmas and New Year's where like nobody knows what's going on and you're just in your pajamas all the time. And like, <laughs> there's like, it's, you're like in limbo and, um, you know, there are no rules, like all this like sort of lack of structure in certain ways. I really think the reason we have rituals at all is to process change and process time passing. Because, you know, if you don't mark, these changes, it's like very easy to turn around and realize years have gone by. But if you stop and take a moment and say, oh, it's spring again. This is the stuff we do at spring. Okay. Oh, this child is now an adult or this person is gone now and have a funeral. I really think it's a way of wrapping our mind around how time passes. One of the things I'm really interested in is the ways in which we can create rituals in a way that's not just going through the motions, but actually taking stock of what we believe and what we think and what is philosophically meaningful to us and emphasizing that and maybe letting some of the other stuff fall away. And so I think one of the things that right now is also so hard is, you know, all these missed, you know, graduations and postponed weddings and all these funerals that can't happen, all of these events are, are you know, 
all of a sudden we're realizing how important this kind of thing is to us. As we're longing for these kind of events and this kind of communal experiences, um, or even very private experiences, um, I think that we can really assess what is valuable to us and start thinking about, even if it's very small, just within our own household, you know, the things that we want to make special and how we want to do that so that you know, when the day comes that we can gather in larger groups, we have a really clear idea of what's meaningful to us. And Sasha, I'm interested, like, for people who want to create rituals of their own, what are the practical considerations? How would you help them to create their own rituals? Well, I think so much of it is about, like, what do you need? What do you feel is missing? So much of what we do, whether it's obvious or not, is is built upon atop something else. You know, there there's some other tradition that, that was taken from some other tradition. You know, going back millennia, and I think that sometimes repurposing the things that already exist to be more reflective of what you believe or want to emphasize or feel really strongly about um, is useful. You know, I mean. It's, it's taking something that's very ancient and sort of peeling away the elements that um, theologically are not in line with, with our beliefs. I mean, so many people celebrate Christmas in a very mm-hmm. secular way. So many people have traditions that they, um, you know, take on. Absolutely. I'm wondering, have you created any rituals yourself with your family during this time? Oh, yes. We found, I guess, there's a a national park like half an hour away where all the facilities were closed, but the trails were still open and it wasn't very busy. And we started going on these little family hikes every weekend in the forest. Mm -hmm. And our daughter started to say, "Um, when things go back to normal, can we still go to the forest? And we were (laughs) like, yes, of course. And I'm sorry that we've been... um, you know, uh, depriving you of this experience. But it was really, it's been really special and it's been really um, amazing how, I mean, I always sort of get asked about using this word, but how spiritual it really is. So sacred. It really felt so sacred and it's been really special for the three of us. And it also has, again, just given us a little bit of a rhythm for things, you know, saying, okay, we're going to do this once a week. And it's something to, to, to just, you know, I mean, it's like, like so many religious services once a week really helps just to have that moment to take a step back and, and appreciate. One of the things that I'm curious about is what are some of these facts that really put you in a state of awe that could be really helpful for people to think about as their true north when they might need a little bit of comfort. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we sort of touched on this before, but like the thing I can never get over is that there's a secret code in your blood that connects you to your ancestors and that we figured out how to decode it so that we can solve really deep questions. I mean, Tracy, you know this as well as anyone possibly could. The idea that like we can find things out that seemed impossible to know because we've decoded the secret code in our blood. And then, you know, my daughter is three and every time she sees the moon, 
she bugs out like it's brand new. And it's, you know, it's so easy to get blasé about things. For example, the moon. <laughs> um, I, I don't, but yes, I know. Yes, I was gonna say, I'm like your daughter. The moon gets yes. me too. Yeah. It's so amazing. I mean, and it's like, it, it's so great. I mean, that's one of the many wonderful things of hanging out with a small child is their enthusiasm for things that, you know, are sometimes easy to um, forget. Or, but the idea is that we have this rock, satellite rock that orbits us and that changes the way it looks over the course of the month and that, you know, provides light at night and is so, such a central feature. I mean, especially before lights, you know, before city lights, before electricity, just what an astonishing thing. And, you know, a full moon or, you know, the blood moon recently, you know, these moments where you're just, you can, all of a sudden, just look up slack jawed and think, wow, what an astonishing thing it is to have this, this rock orbiting us the same way that we orbit the sun. It's so amazing. And then to think that there are other worlds with more moons and worlds with no moons, but we have this one and it's magnificent. And we're very lucky that we do. And the idea that, you know, it's the earth's early period when there were, you know, the solar system's early period when there were lots of collisions and lots of things breaking apart and things were not as smooth and peaceful as they are now. But somewhere in that, the moon got trapped in our gravitational pull and she's, she's still there, tried and true. And like, again, that steadiness, the, you know, that the phases are completely reliable is amazing. It's really amazing. Absolutely. When you think about it in that larger picture and our place within it, it just, it feels, it, I was just going to say, it feels natural. Yeah. It's just a ridiculous thing to say, but I think that what we talk about as humans, we separate ourselves out, but it really yes. is natural. That's, and I think that's so, unfortunately, um, a feature of some, but not all religions is this idea that we're not part of this. This was made for us. And I think that that does not do us any favors. Um, certainly, you know, I think the idea that we are interconnected and part of all the things that are going on on this planet, um, rather than apart from it is much more reassuring, much more beautiful and, um, true. I was wondering, what's next for you? What are you working on next or what are you thinking about? Oh, I have a couple of things I'm working on that, you know, are still in the early stages. I'd really like to write a children's book. You know, I think I, I would love to, to write a children's book that explores some of the themes in my grown-up human's book. There's so much uncertainty, but there are certainly, certainly some things in my mind. Great. I, earlier, I was gonna. I was thinking about like when we were talking about star stuff. I was like, oh, what if she wrote children's books? Like, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Because I think teaching kids the concepts like that from an early age is such a gift, and they're so open to it, you know. And I think yeah. it it's it's so much easier um, to accept some of the things that you know seem difficult or 
you know, just so astonishing or just so complex. Sometimes when you're a grown up, it's somehow easier uh, when when you're a kid to to grasp some of those ideas and just the curiosity that children have. I mean, that is to me the such a valuable wonderful thing worthy of celebration and you know to just encourage more questions and more curiosity um i think we have a a really fantastic generation of adults if every every kid was was told yes keep the questions coming i love all the why why why's don't be shy i completely agree and and there is something just magnificent at at the thought of as you said, you were welcomed to the worlds with your father saying, welcome to planet Earth. And as it turns out, Tracy and I also welcome newborns with welcome to planet Earth. And I often <sighs> think about to welcome a child, as you said, into this world, into this whole system that they're a part of and have an inherent belonging. Yeah. And also an understanding of the sheer true wonder of it. Yeah, and, and that sense of safety would allow for a completely different um, way for a child to grow up and then the adult that they would become. Yeah, and also just the idea that it's not just welcome to this family or this community or this little geographical region, but welcome to this planet. You're part of all of this, not just, not just the narrowest view, but the widest view. Earlier this week, I, I saw this quote by Steve Jobs and I, and I saved it because it made me think of you. And it is, the most powerful person in the world is the storyteller. The storyteller sets the vision, values, and agenda of an entire generation that is to come. And I thought, you come from your parents as these two extremely powerful storytellers. And I'm so grateful for the success you've had in continuing that tradition. Wow. Thank you so much. That's so kind. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time. You've been so gracious. This has been such a thrill. Like I've just been sitting here trying to be in the moment and, and, and just the gratitude for both you, for Katya, for reaching out to you, for you to say yes to doing the show. It's, it's such a highlight. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm so delighted you invited me. Thank you for a wonderful conversation. I can't believe we got a chance to talk to Sasha. That was amazing. She is delightful and just so extremely intelligent and wise. So yeah, Katya, thanks for getting her to be a guest on the show. It was such a gift and, and uh, what an amazingly rich and transformative. And it felt, it feels like we just went on a journey all together. Transported. Yes. <laughs> We're all on the Voyager. <laughs> yeah, and that was one of the things when when she talked about the Voyager and what the very best of life on Earth is, and it's mm. contained on that. It just goosebumps, full body goosebumps. Absolutely. Mm. I know you said before the show when we were talking about it in general, uh, the way you you talked about it was really lovely because you said that something around like how society doesn't tend to value women's voices and certainly not their emotions. And so the fact that what was chosen to be on this golden record to go out into the universe and be discovered by who or what knows what 
was in fact a woman falling in love for mm-hmm. just yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. And, and that it's, it's set to exist for a billion years. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like love, that thought. Love is infinite. Mm, yeah. yeah. What were some of the things that stood out for you? I really enjoyed the overarching theme of our need to create ritual to mark time particularly yeah. in this period we're in, but always. And, and the level of rituals we can create both connected to nature and our biology, but also whatever our imagination can conceive. Yeah. It's liberating and normalizing all at once. Well, it's empowering too to know that it doesn't take someone else to anoint something a ritual worthy of doing that everybody has the power to create ritual for themselves in a very everyday mundane sort of way. And then building upon that to be able to enroll other people and celebrate together. Like both those levels I think are so amazing. I also loved the way in which this, this poetry she has with science, which her parents also have is, Mm -hmm. is, is such a gift because it connects us deeply to the truth of the mystery of the world we're a part of. And this notion of being a part of this bigger whole and this much larger compass of existence. And I so relished how she spoke of this secret, um, key treasure we have in our blood that connects us to all the generations before us. And, and as we put our attention on these very true scientific facts, doing that connects us to this mystery we're a part of. And that's just pure joy. Yeah. I can't get over, you know, just the opportunity, you know, how much I love Carl Sagan and Druyan and Cosmos and contact and everything that they, they had done together. Um, So the thought of being able to grow up in a household where they value science and that they understand science at the deepest level to have been raised that way, I just think that in itself is such a gift. Um, One of the things that stood out to me was really thinking about like this taboo about speaking of death and how that just seems to, to dog us. You know, we... In our last episode, we talked to BJ Miller, who, you know, is a palliative care doctor and is really so experienced in what it's like to transition over. So it was really interesting to hear from her perspective just how it comes up in natural conversation and how quickly we want to bat it away. Yeah, that is one of those taboos that I always wonder how much more liberated and how much more alive we become once we include death in our Mm -hmm. everyday life. And many cultures think of death as a teacher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it just, it doesn't make sense in a system where death is a normal, natural, everyday occurrence to sort of cut that part of ourselves off and ignore it. And rather, yeah, what's possible when you look at it from a perspective of creativity and generative nature? How can we how can we design death for ourselves in a way that really honors the spirit of who we are and our our human individual dignity? What else stood out for you? You know what I thought was really cool was the conversation about close calls and near misses. And <laughs> And one of the things I always think we never talk about is the never was, right? Like, oh, it 
it almost didn't happen. And then I think, well, what if something else or like 90 million different things didn't happen that we've never experienced? Like there's so much potential. There's so much infinite nature to to what could be and, and what never was. And I love thinking about that, even though it might sound morbid in and of itself. So the never was as a creative jumping off point. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> How I, I feel after this interview is even more in love with life itself and, and the preciousness of it and the mystery of it and the wonder of it. Yeah, it's all about awe. It's just, yes. yeah, when I stare up at the stars and I think about like, oh, just tell me, you know, like reveal your secrets to me. <laughs> and I know that the answers are there, but we just don't have the capacity yet to, to know them. And that is just so exciting. Yeah. All right, that's a wrap. Want more? We'd love to have you participate in the conversation we're having about life design by joining our Results May Vary podcast Facebook group. That's where we'll share more tips, tricks, and inspiration, and where you can share your own experiments with fellow community members who also know and believe that we're all born creators, and every day is a whole new chance to create. And as always, thanks so much for listening to Results May Vary!